0: Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we're covering the D-Squad arc. I'm
1: laughing already because it is is very fun.
0: This is a very silly arc.
1: Uh, It's also pouring outside, so we apologize for a little bit of rain noises in the background.
0: Which doesn't correspond with the second episode, but a little bit. I guess. Anyway, Maybe a little bit. This is uh, season five, episode ten, "Secret Weapons," and season five, episode eleven, "A Sunny Day in the Void." And this
1: is the Clone Wars.
0: Yeah, still, still, <laughs> for, for
1: for the last year and a half,
0: like another for five, the next year and a half, five months.
1: Our whole life is Clone Wars.
0: So importantly, on these, it is blue text.
1: Yeah. Okay. Bright blue Clone Wars logo. First thing. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is foreshadowing for the star of this arc, R2-D2.
0: Humility is the only defense against humiliation.
1: That is deeply ominous, and I don't like it at all. I do not appreciate humiliation in my life.
0: Well, yeah, so you need to have humility.
1: That is a hard thing to have, Sam. Okay, what happens in uh, (laughs) Secret Weapons? you say
0: so. Uh, So apparently, and this makes very little sense, but there is a secret message that the Republic has intercepted and they know that there's a dreadnought somewhere. And if they can infiltrate the dreadnought and receive the USB key and use it to decrypt the message, they'll be totally good.
1: Okay, so we didn't actually get rid of General Grievous last episode. Of and it's not. his transmission that the Jedi Council has intercepted yeah. that they
0: need to decrypt. Some important message, and there's a MacGuffin on a ship. They need to grab the MacGuffin. So the plan is that a whole bunch of Jedi and a clone captain are volunteering their astromech droids, and the clone captain does not have an astromech droid. He has a pit droid that might have been Anakin's, and this is the crew that shows up. And they are going to be part of this mission. And who is leading them? But noted person who's been around since the Battle of Geonosis, Mieber Gascon.
1: Colonel Mieber Gascon to you.
0: This is true. He, uh, There's a great introduction shot of him in that they open the door. He enters. They pan the camera down, 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 down. And uh, so Mieber is about six inches tall.
1: Six inches tall, rounding up.
0: He might or might not win a fight with the Big hazoo.
1: He is green and bulgy and pouchy and polka dotty, and he's got eyes on stocks, and that's all I can really say about him. He's
0: literally a frog.
1: He is a small person with a big attitude.
0: Yeah, he very much struts about like a just like barking buffoon military commander the whole time.
1: I think he is a Napoleon stand, and I'm just going to like put it out there.
0: <laughs> Maybe.
1: Oh okay, wait, so reporting for duty, we've got R2-D2, mm-hmm. QT, C4, and BZ.
0: Right, and so they go to a sketchy Parwan robo-doctor who upgrades each of them with special technology. R2 gets like... Hyper-focused rocket boots. KTQT gets a mega power magnet in her head. Uh, C4 gets a super cutter. And BZ gets his head, he gets lobotomized.
1: So they can make room so that Colonel Gascon can hang out inside of his brain cavity. And uh, no upgrade for WAC-47. Yes. And nothing for Gretchen Wieners. For what? That's a Mean Girls reference.
0: okay. I haven't watched that movie yet. Not
1: the target audience. Years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh so, Wack is in charge of flying and they get on their ship and they go and they're headed towards the Separatist fleet. Uh Mieber's like, "Oh, I haven't told you my secret plan for getting aboard the se- Separatist fleet." And Wack is like, "Oh, I took care of it. I just aimed this on a collision course. They'll Capture For no hand.
1: discernible reason.
0: Anyway, that worked. So they
1: they get sucked into the tractor beam. They get deposited in the landing bay. A
0: bunch of droids are like, "Hey, where's the pilots?" And the droids are like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> and uh, so the droids are going to get taken away. But they bust out their shock prods and escape. And now they're ready to do their heist.
1: They're actually exactly where they need to be. Mm-hmm. So everything is great. Everything is dandy. And then everything goes very sharply downhill. Because it turns out none of the mech droids are any good at their jobs.
0: Yeah, they are.
1: C4. Okay, so let's walk through what happens.
0: Okay, so the plan is they have to cut the power twice and the first time they do it, C4 uses their mega laser cutter, forgets to engage the emergency brake, and cuts several holes in bulkheads. But it does get cut and everything works fine.
1: Okay, and then BZ is the one who's supposed to get the vault door open and mm-hmm. fries his circuits Although, and gets a double
0: lobotomy. So that might be gas- Meeber's fault because he's driving BZ. But... He, blames it, on every, he dr- blames it on all the droids. He just blames everything on the droids.
1: That is true. The only one who actually does a good job is Wack 47 because his job was to distract the super battle droids guarding the vault
0: door. He fast talks them and does a great job. He does a great job. So they get to the vault and right as they are, they've triggered the tripwire twice and the super tactical droid who's running this dreadnought is like, I will deal with this personally. And shows up just in time for R2, who's on his little rocket boots, about to grab the USB key and yank him down. And now it's a close-in fight.
1: It's a zero-gravity close-in fight.
0: Right, because Whack uh, turns off the gravity. And then it's, like, crazy. Everyone's flying around. Guess Mieber is punching the super tactical droid. And, like, he is the size of... A third of the tactical droid's head. Yeah,
1: he goes bananas on this tactical
0: droid. But they turn the gravity back on and R2 performs a mega robo suplex, lands on the tactical droid whose head pops off. It's incredible. It's so cool. Just just flies off and they make good their escape. They run right past some battle droids. And um they also grab BZ's body. Because, Never leave
1: a droid behind. Yeah,
0: because R2 and QT were like and it's like, he's saying we can't leave a droid behind. So they get in their ship, they make good their escape, and they get to hyperspace, and you're like, hmm. That's a wonderful ending for the first quarter of a four-part episode, so what happens next? It was such a great ending, and then we have three more episodes. So we
1: open immediately on A Sunny Day in the Void, Mm -hmm. Fortune Cookie, When All Seems Hopeless, A True Hero Gives Hope. Not the pithiest fortune cookie I've ever seen, but we're going to roll with it. Uh, Disaster Strikes, Sam, that's what happens immediately when we open this episode, so... Our crew of droids and Gascone get into hyperspace. They're heading back to the Jedi. Gascone is like kissing this little decryptor because he had a great first mission.
0: It's like the size of a pizza to him.
1: <laughs> it's as big as he is. <laughs> and then their course takes them right through a comet field. Yeah. These big icy boulders shooting through space and it knocks their power out. Fortunately, the entire crew is basically made out of astromech droids. This is their job.
0: <laughs> like, we're going outside. This
1: is not a vacation. This is what they do every day. I was just so... like,
0: the first time I did this, I got a commendation from the Princess of Naboo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the second time I did it, I got yelled at by a two-inch tall colonel. <laughs> so they crowd out onto the wings of the ship to get their spanners into the power system and try to bring the engines back online Uh, They almost lose. QT, C4, has to suction cup her with a grappling hook so she doesn't fly off into space. And then R2 has to suction cup C4, Mm -hmm. and then they get BZ back online just in time for him to suction cup all of them.
0: And they're just outside. There's ice flying by the ship. It's like barely on. Mieber and Wack are flying it around crazily. and With, d- like,
1: no rudder, no engines, no power steering. <laughs> and the
0: astromechs are like, Wah!
1: It is a daisy chain of mech droids. <laughs> it is horrifying. Everyone is okay. The ship is not.
0: Yeah, they're like, we're done. We're coming back inside now.
1: Wack has to put them down on the closest planet. So they're free-falling. They punch through the atmosphere, and they crash-land onto this huge featureless plane of salt.
0: And the USB key, the encryptor, falls away and R2 grabs it and shoves it in his little pocket. R2
1: basically like shoves it in his pocket and goes, ha 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 ha. So they have landed on the planet of Abafar. Mm -hmm. And that is the only thing that's in the databanks. That's all they know. There is an orange creamsicle sky and a big field of salt. And that is the planet of Abafar. Mm Mm-hmm. There is nothing on this planet. Colonel Gascon has his training, right? He's blathering on and on and on about what they should do next. And R2 does the droid equivalent of rolling his eyes and waves the decryptor and takes off Mm -hmm. in the direction of his choice and everyone follows him. So the droids very calmly make their way in a straight line across this featureless tundra as Gascon is losing his mind.
0: He really is.
1: He gets dehydrated within the first four hours.
0: That's because his water bottle is something he can carry. So it's like literally four drops of water.
1: And he embarks on the first of many monologues in this episode. (laughs) He had a couple back in Secret Weapons. Mm -hmm. He has many more in this episode. (laughs) The point is that he is superior to the droids because they're programmed, but he's trained And they need to get back to the ship. And Wack is the only one who can talk back to him. And he's pointing out how the droids are actually better suited for the situation. They have navigation systems. They don't need water. They don't hallucinate. Mm -hmm. And Wack says, when you die, Colonel Gascon, which may in fact be very soon. I think I should be the team leader. Uh And Gascon loses his mind further And then they find a shipwreck and see what happens when you follow your training and stay with the ship. You die and you decompose in the middle of the desert.
0: There's that wonderful trope of a skeleton wearing an astronaut suit with a bunch of broken astromech droids. And pit
1: droids too, like whack.
0: Really? I didn't see pit droids. Oh yeah, it's crazy.
1: Gascon hallucinates, of course, from the heat and the dehydration, Mm -hmm. and he's chasing mirages into the desert. And that's when R2 and the astromechs decide to take off. Later taters, they're like, we are not.
0: There's still a mission to complete.
1: We are not going down with this ship. So Wack is the only one who stays because they didn't vote him team leader and he's butthurt. So he stays (laughs) with the colonel.
0: You can't vote for R2. He's just a mech.
1: (laughs) And everyone votes for R2. Yeah, Gascon is... Quite close to losing it. He says something to the effect of death is the only thing you can count on. Mm -hmm. Death is the only certainty, I think, is the line. So he's ready to throw in the towel and die. And Wax says, giving up is not in my programming. I'm surprised it's in yours. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Which is a great moment. And in that moment of enlightenment for Gascon, he decides to open his mind to new possibilities and break out of his programming. And in that moment, a herd of Star Wars dinosaur emu ostriches.
0: I wrote Dino Flamingos.
1: Dino Flamingos is so much better than I wrote. Uh, Let's go with that. Dino Flamingos start stampeding by (laughs) and Colonel Gascon realizes that all they need to do is hitch a ride and hang on for dear life and they're going to be fine. So, the dino flamingos bring them to a lake, which is on the outskirts of a city, which is where all of the astromech droids have been waiting for them <laughs> to catch up for presumably the last 12 hours.
0: But at that last moment, Mieber and Wack have become close enough friends that Meeber actually promotes Wack to uh, Colonel, Corporal.
1: Corporal. Corporal. Which is fun and important because the entire episode, Wack has refused to call. Colonel Mieber by the correct name. So it is very delightful. Yes. And that, Sam, was the episode.
0: So that's the first half of this one. And now we're stuck with how did these guys get this important information off of this featureless planet?
1: I hope I gave you a sense of how wildly incongruous this episode is and how weird it is to plot because I have some headcanons about <laughs> why these episodes exist.
0: And I want to hear yours, too. Oh, man. Well, I don't know like why they would exist, because obviously it's a MacGuffin. It's not like this is a major plot that needs to be resolved. Like, oh, there's a secret message. We need to decrypt it. Um, first of all, if as a matter of operational security, if you have like some magic device which contains all your passwords and someone steals it, And you know that they stole it then you have to change all your passwords immediately and that magic device is worthless so the fact that they know that this decryptor was stolen means that it's worthless but it is star wars
1: I had not thought about that. It reminds me a little bit about how apparently there's no file sharing system in Star Wars. Yeah. So maybe there's no IT guy pestering you to change your passwords. (laughs) Like maybe this will actually be okay.
0: I did read a very funny fan theory, which is that Star Wars is a universe where weapon technology is like 2000 years ahead of information technology, because there's no paper in Star Wars Mm. and like a star destroyer takes 37,000 people to run for something that's like a mile and a half long. So it's all just people like doing abacus calculations or something to figure this stuff out. No like functional computers, which my, my theory there is that any sufficiently complex computer gets a mind of its own in the Star Wars universe and becomes a droid and droids are, Frisky. <laughs> Risky. Weird.
1: Fascinating.
0: Anyway, there's some really fun moments of uh, seeing astromech droids in action versus a pit droid as the audience stand in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I there's, there's a lot of good stuff in these arcs, mm-hmm. in these episodes. I have a lot to discuss. There are some surprisingly dark themes with like a candy coating, which I think is really interesting. But the first thing I picked up on is just that these are some weird episodes mm-hmm. and they're different from some of the other weird star wars episodes
0: because we're going through a little bit of a spell of weird episodes we started off this season with extremely heavy stuff with maul and then uh, the last arc ahsoka and younglings kind of weird
1: yeah yeah every time r2 is the focus of the episode things are a little screwy have you noticed that
0: now that you mention it, yeah. So
1: we had the R2 and 3PO arc when mm-hmm. they're wandering around Fairyland. Yeah. We had the R2 and 3PO arc where they're running after the Jogan fruit and getting tortured.
0: <laughs> Sorry. That's a funny arc.
1: I know, I know. <laughs> uh, we had the replacement droid arc, which is a little screwy back in season one.
0: Yeah. I wonder if that's a reflection of the way an R2 unit or an astromech unit like sees the world in that like they're thoroughly programmed to take in lots of information, but there's got to be some things in the wide galaxy that just seem like magic, and droids are just like, it's magic, ignore it, it'll be fine. They yeah. don't have to understand it.
1: Maybe. I think mechs understand a lot more than they let on that they understand.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I really enjoy like watching a team of four astromechs is like fan service and that R2 is always the hero. And yes. so having R2 be like, and and three astromech buddies be the only ones who have a lick of sense between them. And then you recognize that the talky droids, the talky people are running around with their own schemes and plans. The astromechs are like, just go in a straight line. Like that's what, uh when they crash the ship, Mieber is sitting there and he's like, there's no sun. We can't see the sun. How are you uh, navigating?
1: R2's like, I programmed myself to go in a straight line because I have GPS.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you just say go in a straight line. And Mieber's like, you have to have maps. You have to be able to see the sun. You have to, like, figure stuff and out. And
1: R2's like, we're droids. We're better than you. Yeah. we just We, we could take over your job in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, we... We don't because we don't want to, basically.
1: So that's one of the big tensions of the arc, right? Is Mm -hmm. that Colonel Mieber Gascon is putting himself forward as this really amazing, efficient, qualified leader because he was, you know, in the Battle of Geonosis. And then it turns out in Secret Weapons that he's a map analyst and he's very small. Yeah. And so this wasn't like a meritocracy decision. No. It was a strategic decision that they chose the small person to fit inside the droid head and go on this mission. And Mieber has to have this moment of reckoning where... In my mind, one of the points of the episodes was Star Wars showing all of the different ways you can be a really bad boss. Oh, gosh. And why your workers are probably more qualified than you are. <laughs> and, Sam, that makes me think of you.
0: Yeah, well, I'm done casting shade today. But, uh, yeah, I I did not get that read, if only because... um. The trope that Meeber personifies is very much the like drill sergeanty colonel who's ordering like stupid decisions. Oh,
1: he's Lieutenant Devo meets Pong Krell meets oh, Napoleon. I mean, he's
0: not bad, but he will throw everyone under the bus in order, and like make himself seem good. All of his mistakes he blames on the droids. And he's also like pretty mean to them and gives them mean nicknames until Whack is like, I will call you by the correct title if you stop referring to us by nicknames.
1: Right, right. So what part of that makes him not bad?
0: He does learn and he does refer to them as their names. And it's a caricature, I guess. Like he is definitely personifying the, um, like the, the Vietnam era, drill sergeant voice. Like that Mm. is what he's trying to go with. And also the idea, I mean, this calls back to like a Vietnam sense to me of you have some important person who you take with you on a military expedition and they're like, oh yes, this person's been with the army for 20 years. And that's like, you've never actually seen combat.
1: Right, right. So one of my thoughts is that this arc was trying to show its point of view on what makes someone fit to be in charge. Yeah. And it's doing the work. It's being able to do the work, but also have that sense of big picture and strategy. Yeah. And so Mieber has one of those, but he eminently does not have the
0: other. He doesn't. And that actually goes back to the Clone Wars movie when Rex tells Ahsoka, in my experience, experience trumps everything, or in Mm -hmm. my book, experience trumps Mm -hmm. everything. But So this is one of those episodes where there's no force, and I appreciate that. The force is, is not part of this episode. It's just droids and Mieber, and Mieber's plan actually mostly works.
1: It does mostly work. I would say Mieber himself got in the way of his plan working better.
0: He did but there were also, I mean, there were other situations. And honestly, Wack is the one who like started being the voice of wisdom throughout because he's the one who's like, wait, uh, C4, make sure to put on your brakes. And C4 did not and just lasers the whole room. So they, it felt like the way this mission was put together with Wack, who seems better at communicating with people just because they can speak, and then Nieber, who's got some sort of sense of, instinct and ambition and drive as a counter to the astromech droids who might actually get into trouble because they're kind of goofy, you know? Even when astromech droids are at their most serious, they're still pretty goofy.
1: Maybe. I think that the level of micromanaging oh, that Gascone was able to achieve by riding around in BZ's head and taking over and ruining like phase three of the plan,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for me implied that the droids would have been okay if C4 forgot to lock down his feet and messed up his little laser cutter maneuver. And they probably would not have messed up the vault maneuver. And they probably would not have had BZ knocked out in the hallway to alert the tactical droid. So they would have done overall a better job. But either way, the job would have gotten done.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But this way... Gascon got to learn some lessons along the way on the back of our astromech friends.
0: Also, have a severe existential breakdown over the course of the entirety of the second episode. Oh my God. Sorry. Did
1: you notice by the middle of the episode when Gascon is hallucinating and dying of dehydration, the camera tilts? Mm-hmm. So we're looking at him sideways. In film studies, that's called a Dutch angle. And it's supposed to imply that the person you're looking at is completely unhinged and divorced from reality. He really was. He really was.
0: He definitely lost touch with being in a combat situation and then like coming out of it and surviving because like that is kind of what happened. He went from this plan is working, but it's very dangerous to I'm punching a tactical droid in the face to we escaped and now we're crashing and we're about to die because he's inside the ship. As they're going through this comet field, there's cracks appearing on the window panes, and the droids are outside because they're like, air is for suckers. And Wack is like, I can't drive. I really hope those guys fix it. But if these windows goes out, air is for suckers. And people's like, I need air. <laughs> I need air to breathe. <laughs> and that's the same problem he ran into on the planet. He's like, I need water to live. I need food.
1: So yeah, that's what makes it really interesting that he is convinced that he is superior to the droids when they are better suited for this environment. Mm -hmm. All of the environments. They're better suited for comet fields. They're better suited for outer space. They're better suited for a long march across a hot desert. Yeah. And it's interesting that as I'm just going to use sci-fi terminology, as an organic. He has this <laughs> inherent sense that he is better than something that is machine built. And truthfully, he was worse in every regard.
0: As a, a meat bag. As, as a meat say. puppet. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, HK47, who's a very fun droid from Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, refers to all organics as meat bags. And that is kind of what Meiber was. I like
1: it. I like it.
0: But being a, a fun little small frog person, I don't know, he he was interesting. I, on the first watch through of this, this is a pretty critically panned arc. Is it? Yeah. Um, it's one of them that's everyone's just like, ah, you can skip it. Because as far as character development, you know, like how much character development does R2 need? And the rest of these are one-off characters. But um, I think it's fun because it is weird.
1: I have such a different read on it. I didn't think it was fun, but I thought it broached some really worthy themes.
0: Fascinating. Like the nature of droid rights or...
1: Droid rights, sentience, inequality, and we can get into all of this. But my read was, this is on the nose, a really sparse arc Mm. that is bringing up, if you are watching carefully some very deep themes of merit and justice. Yeah. And I can unpack that for you. I can show my work Please if you do. would like me Please to. do. Well, the first question I had was brought up because the the mechs in Secret Weapons have to undergo this weird upgrade montage with a Parwan mad scientist. Oh, he
0: has the creepiest accent too. He sounds like an insane... German Nazi doctor. He reminds me of the one. plague
1: doctor from the blue shadow virus. Arc. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. And there's a moment when they rip out BZ's memory banks and the doctor's trying to explain it to BZ before they send him into the back room. So the droids don't have to watch the lobotomy going on. Mm-hmm. And Mieber says, no need to baby him. He's just a droid. And the Parwan doctor says, well, fortunately he won't remember any of this.
0: Yeah, And
1: so I went down this thought rabbit hole, and I didn't even land anywhere. I just had thoughts ping-ponging through my head, and maybe you can help me make sense of it.
0: With regards to what it means to be a droid if your memory banks are destroyed or deleted?
1: Not even that. I was thinking about droids being part of the Republic political and military unit. hmm so these are these are republic droids and they may or may not be motivated by any kind of loyalty for being on the side of the republic and it really doesn't matter because you could deprogram them and reprogram them to be separatist droids. Yeah. And they wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. But we have kind of a different thing going on as human beings when we join the military. Some people are motivated by nationalism or pride, or some kind of ambition, or thirst to prove themselves. But no matter what motivates them, they get paid. Mm -hmm. We don't ask people to go out into service and risk their lives on the military front, or as spies, or as infiltrators, for no pay and no recognition.
0: Well, we don't these days, because there is conscription.
1: Even if you're conscripted, they pay you a wage
0: generally not always there's there's penal battalions where you go fight because you're in jail it's it's a historical precedent and then also ancient armies often lived off their loot but I see where you're coming from with regards to what reason does a droid have to remain patriotic and remain on task and maybe that's why they sent Mieber that's also maybe why these droids in particular were chosen because at the very beginning in the opening scene all of the droids have a very strong relation with their master. Each one has a partner who is an, a meatbag who they spend a lot of time with. And that's like one of the Jedi we see looks like a crazy triceratops. So we've never seen this Jedi before. But we assume that each droid has a relationship with their master similar to that of Anakin and R2.
1: Yeah, sure. So they might have some kind of communal structure that brings them, I don't know, support while they're in the ranks. But you send droids out, you conscript them into service, you do whatever you want to them, you make Mm -hmm. weird modifications, you lobotomize them, they risk death or dismemberment by comet, or, you know, they rust in the middle of the desert because they ran out of battery. And we don't even know if they get paid or if they get hardship pay for being out on the wings of a ship in the middle of a comet blitz. We don't know if they are compensated in any way. And because they're droids, they have no way to say no. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about issues of slavery.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's a freaky thing about droids as well is it would make sense and it seems to be that droids are programmed to want to obey that that is their primary purpose is to serve others even to the extent of their own self-preservation so i find that definitely very interesting in the relationship between like these astromech droids which it seems like every single person throughout all of star wars looks down on astromech droids in the sense of like it's just a little droid and it's strange that someone has a very tight relationship with one because some most other people they're kind of a, a little you know chirpy dog with a calculator for a brain and you can't figure out like how to communicate with them and also sometimes they're the way they think seems kind of alien hmm. I don't know if we see that as much in the Clone Wars as we do in some other things. As my side project recently, I've been watching these Star Wars droids shorts, which are from the 80s and are animated like Smurfs. And it is real silly. And in those, uh, C-3PO and R2 are wandering around looking for someone to be their master.
1: Oh, man. Yeah,
0: It it felt like it. that part of it felt like it aged poorly. The rest of the story is pretty fun. But it felt very strange. But it also reminded me that because droids can't say no, they might be conditioned or programmed, which is the other theme that's important of Mm -hmm. this episode, to um, just want to find some orders to obey to the best of their abilities.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am not sure that we got a great answer on the difference between programming and training, because at the end of A Sunny Day in the Void Mm – Mieber ends up saying to Wack, you've got your programming and I've got my training, but these birds have something better, natural instinct. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually get the screenwriter's opinion on whether (laughs) our training is also just programming. Because in many ways, I think it
0: is. That our training is better than programming?
1: No, that it is simply programming.
0: Oh, well, definitely. And Wack tears that argument apart, which helps breakdown at Bieber to have his existential crisis and his eventual catharsis, right? Is that he does learn that the way he's been treating these droids is also the way he's been like treating his presumably long career. And now that he's having to face life or death situations firsthand, that his, his way of moving through the world is incomplete.
1: Hmm.
0: And now he has to, and maybe that's what he meant is that the instinct is more important because the whole whole episode, both of them, he is continually talking about how great he is and how much of a military genius he is and that that is his superior training. His superior training is what makes him a tactical genius. Now he's recognizing that doesn't matter if you die. Right. And what matters if you're about to die is instinct, and that's even better than programming because he is right that droids will just follow their programming. Because at the end of the first episode, as they're easily scooching past B1s to their stolen ship, and the droids are like, hey, get out of the way. um, He's like, the droids would never suspect that one of their own was a traitor. And I think he's right about that too, that the droids would be programmed to not be suspicious of other droids because otherwise they would have some sort of meltdown because they would be suspicious of each other.
1: So I think that is the fundamental plot armor of these episodes, which is that Mieber is just a regular person. If they had sent a Jedi with the droids, mm-hmm. or if they'd been piloting the droids remotely, like through an intercom, which to me seems like the correct way to <laughs> send droids on a terrifying mission, they would not have had this discussion because the Jedi are always saying, trust your instincts, right? That is a fundamental... Teaching of the Jedi.
0: Yeah, it is. And because Mieber is not a Jedi, he had to come to term he had to come to that conclusion differently.
1: Mm-hmm. He had to follow a
0: different path.
1: He took the scenic route. <laughs> <laughs> the other big theme that I picked up on, so beyond training versus programming and beyond droid rights was a meditation on inequality and systems of oppression. Mm -hmm. So this arc is about a person in power, assuming that he has inherent superiority, that he has characteristics that make him better than these lesser creatures that he's in charge of. When in reality, the lesser creatures, and I'm saying this with really heavy air quotes, are efficient and compassionate and good at their jobs and focused on the mission. And they don't have meatbag foibles Mm -hmm. like passing out because they're dehydrated and they're tired. So they are well-suited for crisis and superior to him in almost every way.
0: And I think that's really explicit because Mieber talks about that a lot. He's like, of course I'm superior to drugs. One of his many monologues. And, um, the other trick of that is one of oppression in that when, uh, he tells Wack that Wack's in charge, Wack is like, oh, or right even before that, when he says who votes that we go off and leave Meeper to die, uh, and they all vote for R2, you can't be R, you can't vote for R2, R2's just a mech. And one of the very first things that Wack says is, I'm not a mech, I'm a droid. Mm. Actually, he says I'm a Wack, but whatever. <laughs> and, um... And so he has this classification of droids within him, and that shows the uh way that classism propagates, yes, is by and this is how colonialism operates as well is you have a bunch of people and you say, "This random one is better than the rest of them, and they're in charge, and now your problems are classism. And I'm in charge of everything.
1: Yes. Systems of oppression, take away all of your rights and then feed them back to people who help to keep the system going Mm -hmm. so that those people are afraid to lose what small privileges they have and turn against the people that they perceive to be lesser Yep, who are really just more risky to the status quo.
0: And that's why it's so frustrating, but also in tune with the themes for whack to get promoted oh, <laughs> at the end yeah. of the episode because they're all peeking over, you know, they get to the edge of the city. And so this this city is actually super cool. It looks like it's a bunch of circles connected with little channels, like perfect circles that are dug into these salt flats and they're surrounded by a small moat of And they're all stainless
1: steel and it's very empty and it's very quiet.
0: Because it's presumably a Brazilian degrees. But at uh, the... Uh, <laughs> The dino flamingos are drinking, and Bieber is like, if you will excuse me, I must quench my throat. I'm doing like five different voices for him. And <laughs> Pick
1: a lane.
0: <laughs> and he, he goes, and he just dunks his head in the water and starts drinking flamingo water. And this is after he promotes Wack. The astromechs are like conferring with each other. And Wack starts frog marching down the ramp, talking about, he's like, all right, ship up. Straighten up, line up, form up. It's time for you to listen to me. I'm now newly promoted Colonel Wack 47. And that trumped up feeling of superiority now has the Astromex versus Wack instead of against Mieber.
1: Yes. Although Wack only wishes he was a colonel. He's a corporal.
0: I'm I know, like I know, him. I know.
1: I can't keep them straight it either. Me, it
0: got me mixed up.
1: I loved the malicious compliance throughout, especially mm-hmm. secret weapons where Wack won't call meber the right title until he starts being nice to the droids yes he's like um i don't need what's lower than a colonel a corporal a
0: corporal's significantly lower he also calls him captain which is lower than a colonel oh my god a a colonel's pretty high up
1: yeah and uh the beginning of secret weapons gascon is like all i have to do is finish this mission with you stupid droids so i can go back for my promotion ceremony to brigadier general
0: which is like presumably as high as he's as he's gonna get because that's like
1: That's a pretty serious promotion.
0: It is. There's only, I mean, it's Star Wars, but there's only a a small handful of ranks above that. If we assume that all Jedi are generals, then a brigadier general would be working directly for Jedi. It's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: It is fascinating that he made it that far, considering that he's not seen any real action.
0: Well, I think there's something to that. One thing is that, He has been serving since the Battle of Geonosis. So
1: two years?
0: Yes, but battlefield promotions. Ah, true. During a war, you're more likely to get promoted because your superiors get aced. Case
1: in point, WAC 47, newly minted field promotion corporal.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there's some cool stuff. I love watching this arc in aggregate because across all four episodes, it's really fun. It's got wonderful pacing. Watching just the first two, I'm like, whoa, boy, that second episode, not a lot went on.
1: It was interesting, right? My little headcanon is that there's a lot going on in season five. There's a lot of very expensive animation coming up. And the screenwriters looked at each other and the animators looked at each other and they're like, Where can we cut money in this budget? And they thought, hmm, maybe we'll spend an entire episode on a flat creamsicle planet and have most of the characters not being able to speak.
0: Oh yeah. Two voice actors and a soundboard is like
1: (laughs) And one screenwriter who's got a penchant for monologues. Yeah. Like you just let he's sitting in his little coffee shop and he's like thinking about the nature of death death is inevitable death is really the only certain thing and they sent it into the sound booth and the voice actors went ham in and out in and out t- 15 t- minute t- t- adventure take t- the rest of the week off yeah <laughs> That's my headcanon. I
0: I like that. It's Uh, like
1: the Breaking Bad episode where they have to save money. So mm -hmm. they set the entire thing in the lab and had them trying to swat a fly.
0: Yeah. There's a bunch of episodes of Star Trek Next Generation that have that because that's like sort of – because we've talked about this in the past how Breaking Bad is actually – as because it was later after the Clone Wars. yeah, I, mean, I guess it was a similar, it was a time, similar frame. time frame. Uh but nowadays like the budgets for things are super high and they would never have these like lulls because if they run out of episodes, they just wait a few extra weeks. But
1: They do sneaky things. I remember that Game of Thrones was running out of budget so precipitously that they started putting all of their battle scenes at night uh-huh. because it's so much less expensive to film a nighttime battle scene.
0: That because you only need a third as many episodes. So extras. that's why
1: a lot of the later seasons, you're like, oh my God, my laptop won't go up any brighter. What's happening?
0: Nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so with animation as well, and we're not going to see crazy much going on in the next few episodes. And even these last two, it's like, it's not a crazy amount going on. It's not huge space battles or anything. It's not a lot of dialogue even, despite the fact that Whack and Mieber are talking the whole time. That's just two actors.
1: Four episodes just seems like a really big chunk to sacrifice in a pretty important season.
0: Yes. Especially
1: because as we know, because I looked this up because I'm a nerd, the viewership for the Clone Wars, once it hit season four, dropped by like 60 or 70 percent. Wow. So by the time you hit season five, they have to make a pretty strong case for their existence. And then they throw in two interesting episodes with droid heroes, but they're not the most compelling Clone Wars episodes I've ever seen.
0: No. Well foreshadowing is that you are correct. The sum of the budget for the season will be spent. Don't worry. Okay. There's there's crazy stuff after this. I
1: love when I'm right. (laughs) This is the best.
0: (laughs) And we're getting a welcome reprieve from the heaviness of Maul.
1: Mm, Because that's coming up.
0: Eventually. So with... Two voice actors and four mechs and a few cameos and a super tactical droid. Who is going to end up on this week's Baywatch?
1: Are you saying it's time for Baywatch?
0: Baywatch.
1: It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. I am not throwing any curveballs for this Baywatch. Baywatch. My bae is R2-D2 himself.
0: Yeah, he doesn't actually have a lot of lines, I guess. He
1: trash talks a little bit. Mostly what we get is him scoping out what needs to happen in the situation and then quietly doing it so in the midst of one of our first meber monologues and secret weapons Mm -hmm. he's like my entire career hinges on this mission going well and no matter what dead or alive i've got to get that vault door open and he turns his back to the droids and r2 kind of languidly you know, gets out of formation, opens the vault door, gets back into formation. Mm-hmm. Mieber turns around. He's like, oh my God, I did it. I opened the door.
0: Yeah. <laughs> R2 does do that. I also love that he gets to be outside working on the ship. He's the one who volunteers. He's like, oh, yeah, I got that. I know how to fix a busted power coupler from the outside.
1: I love that he sees the decryptor in the shipwreck and just grabs it and shoves it in his mouth and is like, yes, this is mine now. <laughs> Is that his
0: mouth? It's like where his little front arms pop out from.
1: Okay, like under his armpit, maybe. It does, His little secret armpit pocket. It
0: feels more like an armpit to me, Okay, but it could fair. be a mouth. I like it. I think R2 is very much the one we are expected to be rooting for in this episode because he's also compared... Because one of the other themes here is that this is Mieber's first combat assignment, mm-hmm. whereas... R2-D2 was literally at the Battle of Geonosis.
1: I know, and he did great.
0: Well, he's kind of screwing around.
1: I think we're actually supposed to root for Wack.
0: I don't know. Wack is is
1: hard to root for.
0: Wack is hard to root for. He is annoying. He is a pit droid, and pit droids are the Jar Jar Binks of droids.
1: (laughs) Yes, I can see this.
0: And that they're annoying and goofy looking and surprisingly sprightly. <laughs> yes. And also surprisingly wise, you know.
1: Yes. Yeah. My sense is that whack was supposed to be the wacky, lovable
0: <laughs> you don't say
1: protagonist of this
0: art. Because C4 was the one with explosives and, and
1: Cutie actually is very much a cutie.
0: It's cutie is a Archie unit who's painted pink
1: and she is delightful and i love her. i and do and find is it really adorable. weird
0: how gendered the droids are. but
1: there actually is there's a little side note QT was a fan designed droid in mm. honor of one of the original clone wars animators and i think she had a chronic illness and died. Oh, so now they bring QT uh in real life to like children's hospitals and stuff. so ah cutie is actually the best. honorary baywatch for cutie. who's your bay?
0: i'm gonna go with this is real tough i'm gonna go with r2 as well
1: excellent yeah. okay i was sitting here sweating thinking you were gonna pick gascon and i was no, gonna have to find a nice thing to say about him
0: i i've already said all the nice things i need to say about him
1: okay excellent i didn't have anything nice
0: to I've say i already so. said all the nice things i need to say about whack um and then c4 qt bz kind of extraneous i do appreciate how bz uh once like because presumably they had their memory cleaned out and were just running on system memory. And then R2 and the crew fix BZ and just plug in enough memory for BZ to operate. And B- BZ is now just a babe in the woods, just like following along. And
1: he has really great instincts, you know?
0: yeah. Yeah, so they're doing they're doing all right. But R2 is the leader and the combat veteran, and all the astromech droids are like, of course R2's in charge. Do you have any idea who his master is? Do you have any idea how many times he's fought General Grievous? Do you
1: want to know how many commendations he has from the former Queen of Naboo? Because it is a lot. It
0: is at least one. She like,
1: really likes him.
0: Yeah. So I think that's that's fun. It also shows how cool it is to be... um. I, I mean, thinking about droid rats, thinking about all the memories that a, a droid would have, because, you know, R2-D2 is arbitrarily old. Yeah, you know, we have no idea how old he is.
1: And he infamously has never had his memory erased. That was the whole thrust of the plot of the Replacement Droid arc.
0: It is. I'm reminded of uh, some other times that droids have had, like, their memories partially erased or had memory chunks hidden behind things. And Dr. Aphra, uh, B1—is it B1? BT1 has— uh, BT0 has like their memory banks stolen from them, but it's actually like the memory banks are the droid and they put it inside a C3PO chassis. There's all sorts of interesting ways to be a droid and R2's way of just like get the mission done. Meatbags are nice to have, but kind of secondary. And if they're doofuses, you kind of have to just like go on without them. It's as if he's a parent with uh, tantruming toddlers.
1: When things get rough, turn off the gravity. Get the thing done, even if no one says thank you.
0: Always works for R2. (laughs) Although, so recently watching Droids and thinking back to the movies, R2 is more of a goofball in the movies. He's the serious version during the Clone Wars. Interesting. interesting. Do do you see that? Like during the movies, he, for example, because I was thinking of the Battle of Geonosis, which- R2 was at. And what was he doing during the Battle of Geonosis? He was welding C3PO's head back on and like doing smoke screens and doing. That was exactly
1: around. what needed to be done. Yeah. I think R2 has his priorities straight.
0: Yeah. It makes me wonder if like all these fantastical things are just representations. Maybe we're all living in the existential nightmare of R2's <laughs> mind. Oh my God.
1: The Matrix is just R2's mind. The
0: Matrix is just R2 thinking.
1: Are you going to take the red pill or the blue pill?
0: I'm going to take the... (laughs) Good choice. Good choice.
1: (laughs) You will be delighted to know that this launches R2 above Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala on the Baywatch rankings.
0: Wow. He is now... Top five, at least.
1: And I would like a drumroll, please... He is now number three on Baywatch. Oh. hey
0: He is likely to keep going up because he doesn't age or breathe, and that means that he lasts a long time.
1: He is the fittest for this system. It is survival of the fittest on Baywatch.
0: I think what we're coming to terms with is that we as meatbags are obsolete, and we should just upgrade to cyborg bodies. Like Absolutely. General Grievous. General Grievous is right all along.
1: I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Long live... Non meat bag, meat bags. I
0: think we're joining the separatists now. Okay. Okay. Catch
1: you on the flip side.
0: Okay. Bye. <laughs> Just end it there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that was one of the wackier arcs we've done in a minute. Yeah. Wow. And it is likely to continue, so next episode we are covering the second half of the D-Squad arc. D-Squad! The Clone Wars Season 5, Episodes 12 and 13.
0: And remember, we're separatists now.
1: (laughs) After that, we will be beginning the Revenge arc, which is the Clone Wars Season 5, Episode 1, and 14, and we are delighted to have special guests from none other than Wikipedia on the show with us.
0: For sure. So
1: excited! If you want more Skywalker, as always, you can follow us on social media. You can find us at growingupskywalker.com, and you can find us on Patreon, where we release bonus content every week.
0: Including leftovers and a new feature, Anna's Naval History Minute.
1: Which is the one time ever that I talked about Star Wars ships and it was great.
0: It was really great.
1: It was the best.
0: So if you too have come to terms with the fact that your feeble meat body needs replacement and you want to share that message.
1: You know where to find us. And
0: send this podcast everywhere. <laughs> Broadcast it using your new antenna.
1: And we'll see you next Tuesday. Beep, beep,